Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. I want to talk about some practices we can put into our lives today, and it doesn't matter what your schedule may be. I recognize some people have a very busy schedule that can't be adjusted. You have a lot of responsibilities that can't be changed, but we can all stop and take the principles of what we're going to look at today and slow down in the moment to put into practice what we are going to look at here in just a moment. John Ortberg wrote this, after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for spiritual direction. I described the pace of my life and about our family's life in the van driving, soccer league, piano lessons, school orientation, on and on. I told him about the present condition of my heart as best as I could. What do I need to do? I asked to be spiritually healthy. There was a long pause. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Another long pause. And then I said, that's a good one. I wrote it down. Now, what else is there? Another long pause. He said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So we're going to look at some things today about, you know, the pace that we have. Again, some people can't change that schedule right now, but we can all stop and get focused in the moment on Christ and take several times throughout the day to put into practice what we're going to look at here in just a moment. And psychology and cognitive psychology, they describe the present awareness is three seconds. If you're in the present moment for three seconds, that is an awareness that they rate. Here's the challenge though, as we've said before, people have 60,000 thoughts a day. And the challenge is to go beyond that three seconds into another three seconds to another three seconds without getting distracted about the past, where a lot of people have hurts, or distracted about the future, where we have imagined fears and worries, but rather stay in the here and now. We're gonna look at something you can put into practice for your life spiritually, also in your relationships, and it's based on this idea of being present here in this moment, right now, not just three seconds, but to stay in that moment. Greg Braden says in the Native American Cherokee language, the term is called Shante Ishta. You don't have to remember that term, but Shante Ishta means a single eye of the heart, and notice this, without a judgment about an event. To have a single eye of the heart, we'll talk about thinking and living from the heart without a judgment about an event. To just trust that God has your best interest at heart and no matter what the circumstance, to rest in perfect peace in Him, not thinking about what does this mean, trying to interpret what somebody else intended or concerned about what could happen, but just being in this present awareness and then recognizing we can just rest in trusting that God has our best interest at heart. A single eye of heart without a judgment about an event. Perhaps the best story about that, to put that into practice and into play, is the old man and his horse. What's fascinating about the story is I've read different sources and heard different speakers claim the origin from different places. Some say it came from South America. Some say it came from China. Nobody seems to know where the story came from. What's amazing, though, is it's caught around the world and is taught as a principle. And the story is just simply this. There was an old man who had a beautiful white horse, and a king offered to buy it. He wouldn't sell it. All the town people in this village called him a fool. You could have sold the horse and been rich. And he said, I don't want money. This is my horse, part of my family. 
The next day, somebody left the stable gate open and the horse got out. All the people surrounded the house and they laughed at the man and they said, you foolish man should have sold the horse. You'd be rich. Now your horse is run away. You must be cursed. And the old man said, how can you know what this means? Simply say the horse is no longer in the stable. Beyond that, what it means, who can say? The next day, the horse comes back. The people gather around the house and say, you are such a fortunate man. What a blessing. The horse came back. The old man said, how do you know what this means? Just say the horse has come back. What this means, who can say? The next day, the son of the farmer rides the horse, falls off, and he breaks his leg. And again, the crowd gathers and says, foolish man, now the horse came back. Your son has broken his leg. You'd have been better off had you never had that horse. And the man replies, you are consumed with judgment. Simply say that my son has broken his leg. Say nothing beyond that. Whether it's good or bad, what it means, who can say? The next day a war starts and all the young men of the village are drafted into the army, all but the farmer's son with the broken leg. The people gather one last time outside the man's house and say, how lucky you are. Your son with his broken leg did not get drafted. And the old man stands on the porch and he says, this will be the last time I speak with you. You refuse to listen. We don't know what this means. Simply say, your sons were drafted into the army and mine was not. Beyond that, we cannot say what this means. That's what it is to live in a place of simply saying, have a single eye of the heart. We'll talk about the heart without a judgment about an event. Now, before we look at this principle, fascinating study came out a couple weeks ago about biologists, professors and scientists and teachers in the field of biology. Simple question. Do you believe in heaven? Think about this. Biologists teach that we are our, our genetics, that you're predetermined to act or behave in a certain way, and your genes kind of determine your fate and your desires and your personality. Well, here's the question again. Do you believe in heaven? Biologists, only 7% believe. We are coming at truth from a completely different perspective and understanding things from a completely different source. And so we have to understand that and understand where we are looking at the promises from. See, you're not your genetics. Biology is not your destiny. And we're gonna look at something that you can take and put into your life here this day. Here's a simple quote to remember when it comes to psychology, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to making positive change, if you are in your head, you are dead. If you are in your head, you are dead. Why? In your head is where you constantly interpret and challenge and justify everything about self and ego. And as long as you stay in your head, and especially looking at it from a relationship standpoint, if you're in your head, you're in the wrong place. You've got to be where? Well, look at what Jesus says. Luke 6, 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. An evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
In Scripture, heart is discussed about 900 times. It is the seat of a person. In Scripture, and it should be today as well, we need to understand you're not your brain, you're not your biology, you are what your heart is. Your heart, the overflow, out of your heart you will speak and live and have your belief systems. It is where your emotions lie. And so we're going to look at the heart today. We've talked about heart math before, and just briefly, the idea between, between heart math and understanding psychology is if you just simply place your hand on your heart and you have a real sense of gratitude, your heartbeat and your brain waves go in sync. And when people have this biology, then they say, I feel at perfect peace. Here's a picture of heart rhythms. The top one, very erratic. That's a heart rhythm of somebody that was frustrated when that reading was taken. You see the one at the bottom here, just your normal up and down flow of a heart in rhythm. That is a person in appreciation. You can change your life and your emotions by, again, heart math says simply, feel your heart, breathe slow, and feel gratitude. And in that moment, then your brain waves and your heart waves go in sync. And again, that's when you would feel what we call perfect peace in a biological sense, in a physiological sense, in just an emotional sense. But let me not just talk about it. Let's demonstrate something. And as I share this, I want you to pay attention to what happens inside of you and inside the other people around. This is something Greg Braden taught and wrote about. This is the difference between head, where you're dead, and heart, out of the overflow from which the mouth speaks. Notice what happens here inside. This is what Greg Braden wrote about. Happened a few years ago, Special Olympics, nine children lined up for a race. What he would find out is the nine children had become friends. They had spent two weeks together at camp. They all had different disabilities, but they lined up to race and the coach fired the gun and the race began. The nine children left the starting line. As they got down the track, one young boy with Down syndrome stopped and turned around and looked back and saw one of his friends had fallen at the starting line, struggled to get up. With a smile on his face, he went back to the starting line, helped his friend to his feet. Suddenly, all the other seven runners stopped and looked back as well. And one by one, they also went back to the starting line where their two friends were. And then all nine linked arms went down the racetrack together with smiles on their faces and they crossed over the finish line together. Some in the crowd cheered and some wept because they knew they were participating in watching something beautiful. Not a competition, but about friends who cared more about each other than what the crowd was watching or winning or anything else. We hear that story, we read that story, and true story, where do you go? 
You see, Scripture says even the mind is at enmity with God, always justifying self. When you go into your heart, like when listening to that story, you see things differently. You have a different perspective. You can understand somebody else's point of view. You can suddenly in that place know the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, and ultimately know the truth about who you are in Christ. Listen to that still, small voice. So, let's talk about one more thing in this practice from a physiological standpoint. You often hear people when they are in panic, somebody will say to them, I need you to take a deep breath. Well, why does that work? Very fascinating. When you consciously slow down your breathing, it helps your heart slow down. And why does this work? Well, think about fight or flight. When a person's in danger, the adrenaline kicks in and their heart begins to race and their blood begins to pump, so they're ready to take action. However, some people have that same physiology when they're frustrated or angry at work or when they're in a traffic jam or when they are having a discussion where they disagree with their spouse. And what happens though when you suddenly consciously pay attention, slow down your breathing. The only time we breathe slow is when we know there's no danger, when we know we are safe. So when you consciously choose to breathe slow, you're telling your physiology, your body, this is a safe moment. And you can do that in a traffic jam when other people are upset or when somebody's arguing. Go to that place and just say, you know what? In my heart, in my breathing, I trust in Christ. You'll have a different outcome than somebody else who's doing the very opposite. This is Caesar Milan, known as the Dog Whisperer. He used to have a show on National Geographic. Somebody that I uh, highly respect. My wife and I took a course he taught and studied his work, but he's just brilliant. I've shared before, though, at the time when the show ended, he had gone through some personal tragedies, also found out some friends had stolen most of his money, and so he went into just a, a state of depression, even became suicidal. He went to church, gave his life to Christ, and found new life. He shared though one day, and there's a video he had of this as well, he went to help somebody out. And if you don't know what he does for a living, people that have dogs out of control will call him. He'll come and help them how to correct their behavior. Showed up at this person's house and the mom argued with him. Every time he said, hey, if you do this, she would override him and say it wouldn't work. And if he would suggest this, she would override him and say, never happen kept doing that till he finally said, turn off the cameras. And he went outside and had to slow down his breathing and do some heart breathing before he could go back in. That's what you have to do when the stress becomes overwhelming. Recognize in that moment, slow your breathing down, understand the power of the heart, and then understand what we're going to look at next. Psalm 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You know, Bobby Richardson, second baseman from New York Yankees, had this heart understanding when he said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. So let's close here. Romans 10, 8. What does the scripture say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. We need to consciously slow down and take scripture 
And we're told to meditate on scripture and meditate in scripture means to chew on something. Find a scripture. Maybe it's a short one. You maybe identify in some tough times with John 11, where it says Jesus wept and take that scripture and in your heart, just chew on that and let that become your focus for five minutes. Or maybe first John, where it says God is love, or maybe the psalmist who says you've taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. To slow down and meditate on a scripture, chew on it is what that word means, and in your heart, have gratitude, and just in five minutes, breathe slow, and allow that verse to be hidden in your heart, as David says, so that we might not sin against God. Out of your mouth you confess, and you believe where in your heart. The heart is the strength, and we have to understand, again, biology is not destiny. So look at this final picture here as we close. Something I hope you'll take and do regularly, especially today. Come up with at least three answers on both sides of this. This is something Anthony Robbins put together, and it's simply called conscious or effective blaming. All you need to do, think about somebody that's you know, upset you could have been yesterday, could have been 20 years ago. Something though that you know in your heart you're still wrestling with. And think about that person and what do you blame them for? And be honest, you know, it may have been something they hurt you or there was real pain involved and it may have been unjust. And you simply say, you know what? I blame them for this. So I'll use the example of a father and you would just fill in this blank and say, I blame my father for I blame my father for, I blame my father for. Come up with three answers. But now, now go into your heart. Go into your heart and with your hand on your heart and with gratitude and breathing slow and chewing on scripture. In your head, you're dead. Get into your heart. And once you're in your heart, don't just blame somebody for the good things. Don't just blame somebody I mean for the bad things. Blame them also for the good things. What does this look like? Anthony Robbins used his mom. He gave the example, I blame my mom for getting married five times to some abusive men. I blame my mom for abandoning me. I blame my mom for being an alcoholic. But he goes on to say, but if she had been who I needed her to be or who I just wanted her to be, I would not be the man I am today. So he went on from that and from his heart has been able to say, you know what? I blame my mom for giving me drive to make a difference and not live in pain anymore. I blame my mom for giving me a desire to find and give love since I didn't have it so much growing up. You may not know Anthony Robbins well. One thing to know though, he has charities that have helped over a hundred million people. You see, don't just blame people for the bad things. Find a way to say in my heart, I blame them for the good things too. And then you'll find yourself not in biology as destiny, but rather living from the heart and out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life. My wife and I love to ride horses. She has a friend of the stables that just a short time ago had twins. And one of the twins would cry a lot, two baby girls. The other twin was very happy. 
And this was a scene that played out for about a year and a half. And they didn't know what to do. The one twin cried a lot. Nothing seemed to work. They go to the doctors, couldn't get answers. And it was very distressing. One child always happy. One seemed to never be able to be made happy. And finally, they went to a doctor who had some wisdom. He did an examination and said, you know what? Your baby's not ill. Your baby isn't grumpy. Your baby can't see. He did some tests, made some glasses, and now that child of three can see perfectly and as happy as any ever child has been. The difference when we can see. The difference when we go, as John Newton so eloquently said, I once was blind, but now I see. We all have difficult schedules. But slow down several times every day. And with gratitude from your heart, chewing on a scripture that speaks to you, just be thankful. Sense the presence of God. And don't just blame people. Blame people consciously. Blame people effectively. Start to know what it means that the mouth will speak as the heart overflows. And we're told now we have the heart and the mind of Christ. So let us live therein.